in our gospel today, there are two themes running through them that, that seem to strike me. The first theme is the Spirit of God working in people, but outside of sort of the official way that that normally happens. And the second theme is the evil and the danger of sin. So why are these two themes sort of packed together, even especially in our gospel, which has them right there connected uh, next to each other? Why? What, what is going on? Well, first, let's look at the, these two themes independently. The first, the first theme is um, this idea of the Spirit of God working outside the camp. So it happens to me, Dad, and uh, Eldad in the first reading uh, with Moses, and then with this uh, guy doing exorcisms who's not a member of the apostles or sort of the band of people following Jesus. Okay. But these are people doing godly works, driving out demons, proclaiming the word. So, you know, the Spirit of God is, is moving in them. And what is this... What does this say? Why does, why does this happen? You know, why would God send his spirit into you know, these people who are sort of separate from Moses and from Jesus in some way? They're not part of the, the established group. And I think the, the basic answer is, well, because God loves them. And, and what God wants to give them is his own life and his own spirit. And so he's going to give that to anyone who's really open to receiving it. no matter where they are. And that includes, you know, these people outside the Jewish camp, these people outside the group of apostles, that that there's an openness there to receiving the Spirit, and so God gives it to them. And it's a gift of of his love. In terms of what that means, you know, uh, practically for, uh, for Catholics, I remember hearing this set of readings 15 years ago, when I was a uh, baby Dominican in Denver for my first year, and uh, I went to the Sunday night mass, actually like you're doing, um, a 6.30 mass at the, at the cathedral, and Archbishop uh, Chaput always had that mass, and it was uh, mostly young people mass. Um, and one of the things that Archbishop Chaput said in, in preaching on these readings is, he says, you know, this is... Uh, the, in a way, this is the basic of, of uh, the foundation of ecumenism. You know, the idea of Catholics working together with non-Catholic Christians, um, that this is, in a sense, the, the foundation of it. That we can't assume that, you know, the church, and she has all the sacraments that God gave her, and, you know, a lot of Protestant denominations don't. And yet, the Spirit of God can still work in their lives. And so we need to see that and appreciate it and be cognizant of it and encourage it and, and work with it. And I thought that was, that was a very good point. Again, why? Because God's love is seeking after everybody. Scripture says God um, wills all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Okay. But then we have this, this second theme, which is on the evil of sin and, uh, and judgment, you know, and it starts with, uh, with James, you know, uh, warning the rich, come now you rich, weep and wail over your impending miseries. And sort of goes on from there. And Jesus too, 
you know, sort of whatever, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it'd be better if he were drowned in the lake, you know, and it'd be better for you if you started cutting off limbs that were leading you to sin. And it's, it seems to be sort of this, well, when it's a dramatic sort of message, I mean, the, you know, there's nothing sort of, you know, kind of toned down about these passages in scripture. It's not like, you know, maybe that sin you're doing, maybe not great. You should think about stopping, you know, maybe if you have time this weekend, perhaps. No, it's like judgment is coming, shape up. And what is the, what is the connection between this and this, this first theme of the spirit of God moving and, and seeking to bring all people to the Lord. And I think it only really seems like a contrast if you don't get the relationship between love and hate. So most of the time we think that love and hate are opposites. But in important and crucial ways, love is the cause of hate. So if you read Aristotle, if you read Thomas Aquinas, you know, they'll both say that love is the cause of hatred. You can't, if you have no hatred for anything, you probably don't love anything. Because when you love something, when you think something is good and you really care about it, you hate all of the things that are opposed to that good. If you love your best friend, you hate the idea of your friend getting hit by a bus. If your best friend got hit by a bus and you didn't care, it would mean that you didn't love them. Love is the cause of hate in that sense. And so when we encounter in the letter of James and in the gospel of Mark here, these, these statements about sin and the sort of urgency of sin um, and the evil of sin, what is going on? Well, really, it's just the, the flip side of the love of God that, that seeks all people. If God loves us, and wants us to come to himself. Therefore, he must hate those things that bring us away from him and must hate the actions that take us away from him. And therefore, God hates sin. And sin doesn't just exist sort of like out there. You know, it's not like in the ether. It's not like coronavirus. You can just like walk into a cloud of it unknowingly. No. Sin, sin only exists in, in the heart. And so what, what James is getting at, what Jesus is getting at is, if it's there, get it out. And there's no, there's no more urgent priority than doing that. Because this is the thing that separates you from God. And in light of that fact, in light of the fact that we can have a real relationship, a real friendship, a deep love of God and to experience his love, in light of that, it's worth sort of getting rid of everything else. Even things that we think are crucial, like arms and legs. Now here's the thing, in, in interpreting this passage, you know, if you, if you look at Christian history, how have Christians understood this, you, you don't find a lot of stories of, you know, maimed saints, at least not self-maimed saints. You know, there's no nearly headless St. Nicholas, you know, uh, you know, or, you know, St. Judy the Blind, you know, standing there with a pencil that she... No, that's not how it works. So the saints never, never took this in the, in the most literal sense, 
But they took it literally in the sense of what is the message that Jesus is conveying? That I want, I want to get sin out of, out of my life. Because this is the thing that's preventing me from experiencing and accepting God's love. And I think that one of the things that defines the saints is not just that they get rid of the big things, you know, uh, Augustine giving up his, you know, playboy ways, you know. Uh, I mean, that's one example. That's part of conversion. But that there's this relentless pursuit of even the little things, the little ways that we are hesitant to serve the Lord. I think of, you know, one of the things that I, I don't like to do is fraternal correction. You know, having to say to one of my brothers, hey, dude, you need to work on this. Uh, and, and in the life of St. Therese, uh, Therese of Lisieux, who's a 19th century um, Carmelite nun, entered the convent at 15, died at 24 after a long fight with tuberculosis, she was made the assistant novice mistress. So she was supposed to look after the little baby nuns and sort of help them sort of grow and become better. And it was her job to correct their faults. So if she saw them doing something wrong, it was her job to point it out. She hated it. She, she did not like this job. She didn't want to have to talk to people about this. She was very reluctant. But there's this great moment in her autobiography where, where she sort of recognizes her own, her own reluctance to serve in the way that she's been asked to serve. And instead of saying, oh, okay, okay, all right, I, I guess I'll try a little something, she's like, no, dang it, I'm going to do this right. You know? And she's, she recognizes, like, I'm going to hate this job, but she's like, I'm going to give it 100%. And so she kind of steamrolled over her own reluctances because she thought, this, was, this is what Mother Superior is asking me to do, therefore this is what Jesus is asking me to do, so I'm going to do it. And, you know, that tackling of, of sin, that seeking to root it out of our lives, is, um, as I think, a crucially important, important work. And again, we don't always know, I mean, part of the urgency that, you know, that Jesus sort of expresses in the gospel, I think, is the result of the fact that we don't know how much time we have. St. Gregory the Great said, the God who promises mercy to sinners does not promise them tomorrow. So there's an urgency to it. And... Sin is not something to be sort of managed or I'll take care of it later. It's something to be confronted. And I've been thinking about that this week. I heard a couple days ago that a young man I know is in in his early 20s, um, not affiliated with Hope College, um, was at a uh, a party and uh, there were drugs there, hard drugs. And as the story I heard from a reliable source goes, um, nine people died at this party about a week ago. And the, there was a bad batch of drugs. I mean, drugs are bad, but like this was especially bad. It was a tainted batch, and so nine people died at this, at this party, including this young man who I knew, who was a stellar student, stellar student, went to a top-flight um, engineering school, and... It's about the last person you'd expect to be doing hard drugs. You know, I mean, it was a total, a total shock. And I, I knew him and I knew his brother. Just really sweet individuals. But 
there was a side that I didn't, I didn't see and I didn't know about. And so in that, in that case, in sort of the most literal kind of way, you know, that sin was deadly. I mean, that it, it led to him dying. And so when, when Jesus talks about, you know, the urgency of changing our lives, I think it's something, it's something real. It's not, it's not just a rhetorical device, you know, to kind of get us motivated. It's an expression of, of the reality that he knows so well. But here's the other thing, too. You know, Jesus says that we have to be ready to cut off our hands and our feet and our eyes and whatever else is leading us to sin. These things that seem essential. But I think one of the most comforting thoughts, too, is the fact that Jesus tells us to do these things, to cut, us, cut off these parts of ourselves, knowing, knowing that he is giving his whole self to us, especially in the Blessed Sacrament. That he gives his whole body. I mean, he asks us to to leave parts of ourselves behind. But he himself leaves nothing behind. He himself gives entirely of what he has. And that that at root is is the mercy that's available to us. You know, no matter how big the sin or how bad the sin or whatever, Jesus asks us to cut it off knowing that he will supply everything that we need to overcome. So let's pray today for that gift of the Holy Spirit that we might give ourselves entirely to Jesus as he gives himself entirely to us.